This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm so glad that you've come along today. This is going to be a great show and something that has really made a deep impression on me, and I can't wait to share it with you. But first, I wanted to tell you quickly about a free tool that is available for listeners of this podcast. If you go to my website, andymillerthe3rd.com, that's Andy Miller, I-I-I, Dot com. You can find if you sign up for my email list, we have a free tool that's available for preachers and teachers, an exegetical tool that helps you move from your study of the Bible to the place where you prepare to present God's word in a creative way. So I encourage you to go and sign up for my email list and we'll send you this four page PDF document that'll come to you free. And I'm so thankful to my sponsors who have made the More to Story podcast happen. That is WPO Development and William Roberts Financial Planning. So you can check them out in the show notes. We have information for them. Really appreciate the way they've helped make the More to the Story podcast work and happen. So today, I am delighted to have on the podcast with me, Mr. John Fort. John, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So John is the author of a book. Now, it's not, it's new to me. It's not a new book necessarily. Uh, it's new, new in like yeah, a couple of years old. Yeah. yeah, a couple of years old. And um, John, you're with, and what we'll talk about here is called Honest Talk, but you're with a group called Be Broken Ministries. I would right. love for you just to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Be Broken Ministries exists to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and to train others to do the same. So we have some direct care things for men and women and families. And then we have a lot of training for leaders to help them do. So for example, we are now working with um, church leaders in India and South Africa and Brazil, in addition to here in the United States. Wow. And, and so this, this is a variety of training. And you, you have uh, on your team, there's several other folks that are part of this group, the Be Broken Ministries. Right. We have Dan Wolpshaw, who's a uh, director of Gateway to Freedom and the men's thing. We have Gigi okay. Hopkins, who is Brazilian, and she works with uh, wives. And I'm the parenting and family care uh, specialist. And then Jonathan Doherty is the president, and he just speaks about all kinds of stuff everywhere. So, gotcha. So, even the title, Be Broken, tell me a little about that. Like, obviously, you're emphasizing something with the way that you're describing what? yourself as an organization. That comes from Psalm 51, a broken spirit and a contrite heart God will not despise, basically saying God wants us to come to him in a state of brokenness. It is from a state of brokenness that we find relationship with him. And we bring that into our work because within families, between men and women, um, working from a state of humility and brokenness is when you're doing something this sensitive with sexual integrity, you have to start there. And so the be broken does not mean broken as a sense of stay broken, but approach this from a sense of humility and brokenness. Gotcha. I love it. We, um, some, some people who have followed our podcast for a while, we've taken opportunities to speak into, you know, some of the denominational things that are happening within the United Methodist Church and the Salvation Army. And so we've spoken out 
clearly from an orthodox position on the nature of human sexuality, but some might be critical that look, okay, we're just almost like taking a political sort of stance in this. And that, that's not the case at all. Like we also have this intense desire to make sure that people are becoming the people God has called them to be. And this starts as a state of brokenness. So we're really, I'm really glad to have you talk about the subject of your book here. Now, those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can see as I'm putting the book up to the screen, there's kind of an interesting play on the title. It says the talk, but the word, the definite article, the is scratched out and it says honest talk. So again, just like Be Broken Ministries, there's a message behind your title and the cover art. So this is a book, it's good to judge by its cover, right? <laughs> yeah, it is, is, there's two things we're doing with there is emphasizing honest because we want parents to come. If you want children to open up, we have to come with our own openness and vulnerability and brokenness too. But also we want to emphasize this is not a talk. We want people to talk with their kids all the time about these issues, not one time. Mm -hmm. So this, this, and the subtitle, of course, is in a new perspective on talking to your kids about sex. So, I mean, some people might say, honest, like, John, are you sure we should, we should be honest, like vulnerable ourselves. Like we're, we're the ones in authority. We have no problems. We need to make sure that that's clear. I mean, we don't really, we don't want our kids to become accountability partners. Help me through this. Are so we did a Be Broken, we did a survey of Christian parents a few years ago, two or three years ago, and asked them, why are you afraid to talk to your kids? Or why do you not talk to your kids about sex? We didn't ask if you talk, we said, why do you not talk to your <laughs> Make the assumption that they're not doing it. Yeah, and no one corrected us. <laughs> <laughs> but they said uh, there was a list of reasons. And one of the very common reasons that both husbands and wives, both moms and dads gave was, I don't want them to find out my past. And what's interesting is they, and, and if you look at that, let's just analyze that. Why would you not want your kids to find out your past? Some might say, well, they might think it's okay to do what I did. But right. I think more often it is, I don't want them to know I was not perfect. It actually is a selfish fear. I'm afraid wow. I will, they will lose respect for me. And when you really analyze that, there's nothing godly about that fear of, I don't want them to know my past. Look at the Bible. It is full of stories of broken people, and it teaches through brokenness and how God's response to that is. For us to present ourselves to our children as if we have no brokenness in our sexuality and never have, number one, is completely artificial and unrealistic and makes them think, well, how can I talk to you? We also interviewed a bunch of Christian teenagers okay. a year later, and we asked them anonymously. They were all sitting in a room, and they could write one down what they wanted. We asked them, why do you not talk to your parents about sex? And they, there was about 30-something of them, and they all wrote down only two things. Bear in mind, this is just so only, only, there's only two answers. One was, I'm afraid I'll get in trouble for what I say, or even what I ask. I have a question about sex that I'm afraid if I ask it, I'll be in trouble for even asking the question. But also, I'm afraid my parents won't understand how I feel. Now look at those two fears. The parents afraid that you'll find out my past. The kid says, you won't understand how I feel. If the parent exposes their past mistakes, then the kid then knows, oh, you do understand. And actually, it is that sharing my broken past that bonds the parent and child together and makes the discussion possible in the first place. Wow. So, again, you get, 
broken. It flips everything on its head. And what we discover is over and over and over again, we hear back from parents. When we started talking about this, my relationship with my child suddenly became much deeper than it ever had been before. Even parents who had great relationships with their kids. Right. Wow. Now, you even in the book, you have several practical guides for parents to use. I really appreciate that. And one of the things that you talk about is even having, um, even sharing in a way like what you're dealing with now. Mm -hmm. can, you, talk, can you talk to me about that? Like that, that seems a little scary almost for me as a parent to think about telling again, like maybe they're not being your confidentiality partner, but areas of challenges that you're experiencing, even developing scales that you could use. Yeah. yeah, well, let me give you a real story. Now, okay. this is my story. Okay. What happened in my family. I'm not saying how it would work in your family. And, and, and but I'm just going to tell you what worked for us. So my son and I, I have a son and a daughter, but my son and I started doing kind of what you might call sort of accountability. He wasn't my partner, but we still started when he was 11. Okay. When he was 14. Now, at that time, I wasn't working for Be Broken, but I was working for another sexual integrity Christian group. I've been doing that since 2008. So I've been doing this a long time. And so I'm teaching other people how to lead support groups and help, help other people with this, right? And I'm supposed to have it all together, right? But we're, we're human. And um, I, I hope this doesn't freak out your listeners too much. So I'm a theoretically a professional, right? Um, but that week I had been having a lot of struggle with sexual fantasy. I'd been remembered this, 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 I don't even remember what it was, but there were thoughts that were not about my wife. They were kind of rolling around in my head. You know, I wasn't doing anything about it, but they kept, you know, and I just really sensed God saying, you have to tell your son. He was 14 at the time. And I'm like, if I tell my son that still I sometimes struggle with temptation, what is he going to think of me? So we were out working in the yard and I'm, I'm truly terrified. I mean, I really, really didn't want to say this. So I said, I just think I need to tell you that I've been struggling with sexual fantasy this week. And he stood up and you could just see his shoulders relax. He let this long sigh out and said, I'm so glad I'm not the only one. Do you see how that works? It's not about, no, not, I don't mean sharing details, you know right, what I mean? Right. The fact that, hey, even as an adult, you sometimes are going to still experience temptation, right? So how old was your son when that happened? 14. 14. Wow. That is a powerful story. I, I think it's helpful to, to bring that up. Um, to be able to think about how we share with our own kids. And thanks for giving us that example. And in your story too, I know we don't have time to go into it, but you're someone who has, has experienced like right. walked through um, not right. having the same sort of like sexual integrity that you mentioned earlier, right? Yeah, my father was a pastor. So I grew okay. up in church, um, but he never ever talked to me about sex. And I had a lot of influences to my sexuality from the neighborhood I lived in stuff from a very, very young age. And that got me involved in a lot of really messy things. I don't want to go, there's not time for us to go into that. Sure, sure. I always tell this when I'm speaking to a large group of Christian parents, I say, now I just want to be clear. The reason I'm here is because my story is worse than all of yours put together. If we take all of your sexual sins in this entire room, got 200 people in here, and put yours on one balance over here and put my sexual sins on the other side, I would outweigh all of it. I promise you. Wow. And I can leave it at that. My, my, okay. 
I'm the kind of person that people say that person is never going to get better. Right. And so, but God intervened. And if you would have asked me when I was 20 years old, if I wanted to go into sexual integrity ministry, I would have laughed at you and said, the last thing I want to do, I was a Christian, but, but the things that I experienced had just messed me up so bad. And, um, God, the reason I do this work is because if God can turn me around, he can turn anybody around. And so that's kind of why um, I'm, that's why I'm doing this in the first place. Amen. Wow. I love, love hearing that. And it's interesting. Like uh, the reason I asked about your own story and think, I know it must be hard to be able to say it so quickly, but you did such a good job with that. But I imagine your son is aware that you're in like of your job and of your past in certain terms. So for you to be able to say that, to him at the age of 14 in the backyard. Um, wow. I, I can just imagine that. Just go ahead. Let me give you an update on my son. My son is 23. He's married. They had their first child this Thanksgiving. Okay. And he, um, you know, he's got his first job. So he's working, you know, just someplace and everything. Um, and anyway, he is like an evangelist for this. When he gets to know someone at work, these are not Christian people. Within 20 minutes, he has them talking about their porn use. Wow. And, and so he and then he and he talks about how that when he was a kid, I helped them to, to not get trapped in that. He had some mistakes in there. But to this day, we still talk about that. To this day, we still have covenant eyes and we get each other's reports. Wow. With him saying is like we still talk about he's extremely passionate about this and wanting particularly to help parents help other kids be free be free like he was he had he made mistakes but he never was at a point where pornography ruled his life which is almost unheard of today even in christian homes even in homes at homeschool it doesn't matter you can't you can't keep this stuff away from your kids these right. days that was a that, kind of a helpful piece for me i abby i read a book on um cell phones or smartphone sanity was the name of the book. And it was kind of like a, a helpful tool for us to just to think about the fact of the reality of how prominent smartphones are in kids' lives. Even if we are able to guard our home altogether, there's likely going to be access that people are going to be shown pornography at an early age, no matter what type of guards you have. It's like, how are you going to respond when the time comes? Like, how are you going to respond to it? Because most, yeah, a kid's first exposure to porn is almost never on purpose. Mm-hmm. it's playing a video game that 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 happens to be connected to the internet and pornography gets into that that's how my son was first exposed um it's you go to a friend's house at church and their kid shows your kid pornography um these are real stories that happen yeah. and it happens much younger than people think today now one of the things that i found really helpful about your book was the way you talk about brain development mm-hmm. and i it you have a background in biology, which was really helpful. I think you're able to explain things um, it really clearly in thinking about the movement of our emotions. Now, this was this was like the big imprint that your book made on me was like, okay, we deal with kind of the effects of what happens with uh, our sexual desire, pornography, um, lust, etc. But it's how we have emotions that lead to that. So could you talk to me just about kind of like the emotional framework, and then we can get into kind of talking about some of the ways that that leads to problems in our sexual integrity. So the number one reason that kids get, let's just take just pornography, but this is also true of any other problematic sexual behavior, inappropriate behavior. The number one reason they get involved in that 
is because they don't know what to do with their feelings. So let me explain. The number, the number one reason they get exposed is because someone shows it to them or curiosity. Maybe they go back. At the beginning, it's that kind of thing. But very soon, what happens is when a person, kid, adult, doesn't matter, sees a sexual image like that, their body reacts and releases dopamine. And dopamine feels really good. Well, one of the things dopamine does is its purpose is to make you focus on sex. It's designed for a husband and wife to make them when there's a possibility because sex causes people to bond together. It releases vasopressin, dopamine, and oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone that makes you want to stay together. God designed sex to make couples want to stay together. Of course, that's assuming they're being kind and selfless and you know that's a whole different topic but sure yeah but um that design means when their brain sees a sexual image it's doing what god made it do is shut everything else off and focus on that that shutting everything else off includes turning off any negative feeling you have so it gives you a positive dopamine that gives you a huge rush a hit of good feeling but pushes away all the negative feeling the kid doesn't understand any of this but their body remembers this so let's say later on that let's say they're exposed to pornography or something a few a couple of times right and then mom and dad get in an argument and they run to the room because they're scared it's when when mom and dad get in an argument that that's scary it, it could be anything sure and then they are very anxious right now. They're pacing their room and thinking, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to think about this. And the brain steps in to rescue them and says, hey, I know something that will make you make this feeling go away. They might fantasize. They might masturbate. They might look at porn if they have a phone. But whatever it is, they're doing something to hit, get that dopamine back in their system, push everything else out. They're not conscious of why they're doing it. It's a way to escape a feeling. When that becomes a habit, then... What eventually happens is anytime any negative feeling even starts to emerge, their brain instantly starts thinking of sex. And this is why you get teenagers that are like, why am I always thinking about sex? It's because they don't know how to deal with their feelings any other way. They've never learned how to talk to somebody when they have a feeling and they're terrified of all these feelings and they, they're more afraid of the feelings than they should be. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So like if we're more afraid of our feelings than we should be, how how can we help kids deal right. with their feelings at the start then? Right. So we want to peel this way back to three, four years old, five years old, start off with. And the first thing is emotional literacy, is you teach them a lot more words. Because when you start off, you know, mad, sad, and happy, or mad, sad, and glad, you know, those three feelings, right? Sure, yeah. Well, let's say an eight-year-old two eight-year-olds find out that they were not invited to a party that all their friends went to. One eight-year-old might be mad about that. The other eight-year-old might be sad. In this case, when they say, mommy or daddy, I feel sad or I feel mad, that tells you absolutely nothing about what caused it. Because what they feel was rejected or left out or overlooked. But see, some people, when they reject, get mad, and some people, so getting a bigger vocabulary of what really do you mean? And this is where you see the feelings chart where the faces stuck up on the refrigerator and the kids go up and point. I, it, it's so fun. There's a group of, of, of Christian families that we get together with all the time, and I, they've read the book and taught this and, and printed out. In the back of that book, there are some of those, um, those pictures, and you can download free PDFs of that. Big, I'm putting a few of them on here. We also did girls almost all, I don't know if you know this, but those, you can get those free online anyway. So we had an artist make a girl version and the boy version because it's like, well, we're not all boys, right? You know, 
so we That's wanted great. To... anyway um and so it was so cute this is kid he was like three four years old and he walked up to his mom and, and the feel the charts right there and, and he's like mom i feel overwhelmed and it's just like it just seemed how, how did this kid know what that means but little kids can learn a lot more than you think so that's first is literacy just be okay. second is awareness is being aware when they're having a feeling okay and there's some exercises you do with that and you teach them to talk about when you're having a feeling and finally when they get towards late grade school middle school or high school is emotional resilience and that is where they when they have they know what events will cause a feeling they know when they're having a feeling and they know what to do about it. They're no longer afraid. Let me give you an example. Uh, my son was, again, 14. And um, we were talking. We talked every week. Uh, Jonathan Doherty, my, my, uh, the, the head of Be Broken, he had a son, too. And they called them man meetings. I, I didn't think of that. And it makes sense. Like, that's a much better. We, we just call them accountability meetings. But man meetings, way better. For a girl, okay. you call it. But um, anyway. But we got together and he said, Dad, I, I keep I notice that I keep thinking about sexual things like fantasizing inappropriately when I'm walking home from school every day. And I don't understand why yeah. so we talked about it and talked about it and finally realized he is an extrovert. Mm -hmm. I have a video of him talking about this when he was a teenager, by the way. But um, he said, I just realized that I don't like being alone and. He had a long walk home and he and 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 he didn't know what to do with that being alone thing. And so I said, Well, what can you do? And he said, Well, we, we talked about it for a while. So he decided he would he had a he had a cell phone, but it couldn't get the internet at that. We didn't we didn't he was we didn't think he was ready yet. Yeah, yeah. But he could text or call. And so he would either text or call me, not when he started feeling alone, not when he started feeling sexually tempted, but just walking home. He says, I know this can make me feel a feeling I don't know I don't like. So I'm going to do something about it proactively. And every single day on his way home, he would text or call. And it didn't matter if I could pick up because I was still at work. Just the fact that he could talk about his day and he knew I would read it. He knew we'd talk more when he got home. And that took that took care of everything. No more feeling alone, no more fantasy on the way home from school. Do you see how that all comes yeah, together? That's, that's emotional resilience. That's what you're working toward. So it's that feeling of being alone. I just want to rearticulate what you just said. It's the feeling of being alone that generated the, the fantasy. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I imagine that this is true, not just for kids, right? This is the same thing as we experience temptation later in life, sexual temptation, that there is some feeling at the heart of it that we're not addressing. Like, what is it that's going on in me, much and in our children too, that we can help them express? It's the same thing can be true, right? Right. And so what I tell people in the book, and I tell it when I speak live is, if you do this starting at five, by the time they're 10, 11, 12, they will be more emotionally aware than you are because they grew up with it. Wow. And you will speak emotions as a second language. It'll be their first language. By the time my kids were 10 and 11, they were correcting my wife and I when we would do things that were not very emotionally aware. It, but they did it in a very appropriate way. Let me tell you that that's, you feel both proud and humiliated. That's interesting. Well, it's, so one of the things you talk about then is like when we become aware of their emotions is like when you deal with the challenges or preparing for the onslaught. I mean, this is part of why I wanted to talk with you is like people are just dealing with the reality of how present sexual temptation is in the world. It's just like a, a regular reality that we're all facing. But, you know, we look at what our kids are having to go through and 
think, Lord, how can they do it? But you talk about the importance of, of cleansing conversations at various phases. What do you mean by cleansing conversations? So I want to kind of walk back a little bit. Let's take uh, um, cultures kind of all over the world and in the Bible, they, they talk about this kind of purity idea, right? right? Well, water is something that we use to symbolize purity a lot of times. But as a scientist, did you know that water never occurs in a pure state in nature? Even a raindrop has a speck of dust at the middle because what happens, there's dust in the air and when water gets to the point where it's getting condensed, it has to stick to something. And so it has to stick to dust. And then, th then it can more water sticks to that. But there has to be something to stick to. So every single snowflake, every single raindrop has dust in the middle, always. If, you, if it rains on your car, you might go out and look and see these little circles of dirt. Depends how much dust is there in the air, obviously. Okay, so if you want pure water, the only way is to remove the contaminants, okay? Well, we are the same. By the time your kid is nine years old, they're already contaminated a lot. They've heard people say sexual words. They may have seen things. They may have seen something inappropriate that a friend did. They heard a sexual joke. There's all this stuff that we don't think about. Even if they never experienced the internet, they still have a lot of contamination. Maybe, maybe somebody made fun of their body, whatever. All this stuff is, is contamination. So we need to remove that. And I use it as a bathtub analogy. If you had a kid that came in and was all dirty, was playing outside, and you would ask them to go take a bath, and they come out and they're all squeaky clean, you would never say, that's it, you're clean, you never have to take a bath again, because they're going to get dirty again. Anything with our sexuality, every one of us, child and adult, continually are exposed. We can get clean, but we're going to get again. You clean the outside of the body with water, you clean the inside by talking. So sharing what happened. So if something happens, whether it's your fault or not, it's a common thing. Hey, mom, this thing happened. I went over to my friend's house and this thing happened. Or I saw this thing or you're walking through the mall and there's somebody with almost no clothes on a picture of them on the wall. And they see that and they talk about that. Um, there's a show or something and, and, and something comes by that's way too risque and you didn't realize it was going to happen. And you talk about that. You constantly, constantly, we talk about what we're exposed to. And the things that we did too, but it's way more than just what you've done wrong, you know. And so cleansing is by talking about what happened. That's really all that means. You talk it out. Right. And you say this needs to be different. You, you go through different levels, like younger, middle, and older age children. Mm -hmm. um, help, help us know like kind of the big differences that uh, between those age groups and what we need to be doing. We have listeners at all levels. Yeah. So with little kids, um, I heard a parent in our church say that their daughter was at school and some boy pulled his pants down to show everybody, you know, like right wow. there in the class. And the school called all the parents, right, and said, this happened, just so you know. I mean, they're six years old. I mean, that happens, right? And so she comes home and asks her daughter, what happened today at school? Oh, nothing. And it's like, I think something happened at school. The idea is that you just want them to talk about it, what happened and how do you feel about that? And that's it. You know, when they're really little, it just... They, you're teaching them, you can talk about this. You don't have to keep this inside of you, if that makes sense. When they get a little bit older, you start thinking about, well, how, what do you, you might add on, you know, what do you think, you know, is that how we're supposed to behave? Is that, you know, messages about objectifying other people? There's all this, you add more. And then when they get to be teenagers, you talk about, you know, how does this reflect on, on marriage in the future? And like, like how, why does this, how do you compare the message, whatever you experienced 
what does that compare to like what God wants marriage to be? And so you, you know, it, it, the sexual relationship and marriage. And so you kind of just unpack it deeper each time as they get older. Interesting. I know there's more detail you can give. Like for instance, like one of the, when you're talking about the younger children, I thought this was interesting. And now my kids aren't younger children anymore. I think I have one that might still be there. Uh, so like, but uh, I, I can find a book, but it's like, if you're old enough to ask, you're old enough to be, to, to know. Right. Younger and younger kids are hearing sexual things. Okay. Okay, because the internet's everywhere. And even if your kid is not, other kids are being exposed to porn on the internet. And so other kids will say things to them that they don't understand. Like when I was nine years old, I heard some teenagers talking about masturbation. They didn't use that word, but they, but, but, and I went home and tried to ask them, what are they talking about? And she got really upset. So what I learned was you don't talk to your parents about sex. Right. You don't ask them questions, right? So if a little kid asks, you always give them a, a simple, a truthful answer, but simple. And they keep asking, you have to keep answering. If yeah. you don't answer them until they got it, what are they going to do? They're going to go ask the older kid down the street, what does this mean? And what that right. old kid says or shows them is not what you want to happen. Wow. This is preventing sexual abuse, by the way. If, if but answering your kids' questions about sex helps prevent sexual abuse. Wow. I don't know if you knew this, um, the research that, that I've seen, um, the number one age segment that sexually abuses children is 11 to 15-year-old boys. Not adults. Not adults. Wow. By a lot. And so- Curiosity? Just a, not, they are they're acting out what they saw online and they often do that with younger kids because that's less scary wow and so um so so you do not want your kids asking older kids to clarify questions about sex you want them to ask you and so the only way you're going to do that is you answer their question until they understand till they're they're done you don't over explain either <laughs> as how our baby's made you can just say you, you don't have to you don't have to get into, uh, there's a guy, um, Jim Burns is an author. Okay. He has a couple of books for really young kids for exactly that purpose. It's, uh, I'd have to, I have them next door, but anyway, but, but th there are some books that really, they're Christian books and they're really good at you, that, at dealing with answering those questions, helping you. So you, 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 again, you go back through and you want to let them ask the questions until they stop asking questions or until they, they, you have a sense that they, they get what the answer is, right? That's kind of like the goal for particular. But, right. but some parents, other parents make the mistake and they try to keep going. It's like the kid's like, ah, I don't, we don't want to know this. Don't, you don't want to do that either. <laughs> gotcha. So you have to find, find that balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the most interesting chapters to me was like, it was your chapter on masturbation. I know it might, people might, oh, they don't want to talk about this. Or even the fact that we've already said that word five or six times on this conversation, but it's so important. This is the question that comes up. And I had, I had a debate and maybe this person who I debated, um, will, will be watching this. I don't know, but they're like, uh, they kind of thought they had a gotcha moment with me where they said, well, we're going to talk about same sex, you know, LGBTQ uh, sins and these type of things. How about masturbation? When are you willing to talk about that? I'm like, oh, I'm willing to talk about it. Here I am right now, willing to talk about it. And I'm really, I, I thought this was incredibly helpful because again, it connected to this idea related to emotions and like what leads you to that place of doing this and, and thinking about the realities of, of uh, I'm thinking particularly of boys, but I'm glad to have you address girls too. What advice can you give us as we talk to our kids about masturbation? 
any of these conversations and masturbation for some reason seems to be a little bit more so, parents sometimes react out of their own emotional baggage. Okay. In other words, there are things that happened to them in the past that they heard in the past that is making them react at a hyper uh, emotional level, right? Or they have certain biblical principles or beliefs that they've come to believe that may or may not actually be based in the Bible, okay? Right. And, and um, then, and they, they feel like for me to even consider thinking something different means I have to abandon my faith. We're not talking about that, okay? But so let's just do this. Um, for, so, so first of all, let's just kind of be realistic a second. In the case of boys, masturbation will happen. Right. And about 50% of girls that happen. That's just, that's just, we're not going to change that. Okay. <laughs> that's always been true. I mean, the, there are studies, they've gone back to the 50s when they were the same results. You know what I'm saying? So this is not new. This is not new. Okay. Um, but let's also remember that sometimes masturbation happens by accident. They reach puberty and they don't even know what they're, you know, you know, I, I'm a father and son where the son didn't know what he was doing, what he didn't have, have a word for it. Sure, and he, sure. he had no, he had no, it's just like, oh, I figured this out. This is kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's like, there was no, he didn't know what the word masturbation meant. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. I, strangely, and people might not believe it wasn't until I was 16 that I understood, that I understood that myself. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is, is that, that, First of all, there is an innocence in accidentally discovering what their body can do or whatever. It's not always innocent, but it, there can be an innocence that they don't even know what they're doing. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. It makes sense. careful yeah. about, about, about projecting onto a child something way more sexual than they're even thinking about it being. Right. Taking your emotions, like what's involved, like with your own challenges and saying that that's what your 12-year-old's going through. Now, this is something that I worked a lot with a couple of Christian groups and Dr. Julie Slattery to help me try to figure out how to talk about this. So that chapter was highly influenced by a couple of other people. Um, Our guest on this podcast as well. You can go back in the archives and find a nice conversation with Julie Slattery. Sorry. Infomotion there. Yeah. What she taught me is for a kid, masturbation is better to think of it as an immature sexual behavior. There's a whole, there's a chapter in the book about this. And I have much more expanded this about like what go, what happens to a kid during adolescence. It's way more than hormones. It talks about changes in willpower, the limbic system, the prefrontal cortex, there's all these things that work together that create certain dynamics. Okay. That affect the sexuality as everything else. Okay. But so during puberty, well, actually starting at age 10, kids, begin to grow their ability to feel emotions much deeper. That comes from a combination of hormones when they kick in, but also the limbic system, which begins to develop at age 10. By 15, that is at full strength. So teenagers do not have higher emotions than adults do. They have adult level emotions. What they don't have is adult level ability to control them. That comes from your prefrontal cortex, which is not developed until the mid to late 20s. So you have starting at 15, you have this huge peak of very high emotions and very high sex drive, but the but almost but a 50% ability to actually control that or manage it. Yeah. Now we understand this when it comes to emotions. We know that teenagers are prone to temper tantrums. They get angry. Now that may be they hold it in and just you know steam and fume where they may you know yell or whatever. But we understand that where that's coming from. 
Adults know that. We all know that. And so we have a bit of empathy with a teenager who is really angry. And we understand that their emotions have boiled up and the part of their brain that, that's supposed to calm that down doesn't quite work yet. We, we get that, okay? Somehow we think when it comes to sexuality, that's different when it's not. So masturbation is something that, like anger, is going to happen a lot at a certain age until they have the ability to be able to control that, just mm -hmm. like anger. And the reality of it is that we don't like to talk about is adults sometimes masturbate too. It's not like that ever went away. But here's the mistake people make. The mistake people make is thinking that you can't, you just don't talk about masturbation, you just don't do it. That's like saying you don't talk about anger, you just stop being angry. Mm -hmm. No, we, we know how to work with our kids on anger. You can, in the same way, it's like, this is me, you don't have to agree with me, all right? Rather than think of masturbation as a sin, which by the way, it's not mentioned in the Bible. Um, rather than, it's better to think of as an immature behavior to learn to grow beyond. Rather than say, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, it's, a, it's like your goal is to move to not need this anymore. And most men that I talk to, because Be Broken does a lot of, more, most of our work is actually with men who are porn addicts and sex addicts and this kind of thing and masturbations, even though they're married, is still a huge problem, right? We're helping them learn and to, to control it. Well, a teenager can learn to control that too. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I think it's a blessing. But, but, but to expect it to just never happen is, is unfair. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, let me ask you something. This is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you opportunity to critique me. So okay. as a pastor, and I'm really glad for the critique, and I'm going to be vulnerable here. I'm going to, I don't know if I'm exactly going to be broken, but I'm going to do everything I can. Uh, when, when I would deal with teenagers on this matter, when I've talked to my own kids, but so it's not just related to how I've talked to my own boys about this, but as I've talked to young men and as a pastor, this is often something that comes up. And I'm always thankful that people are willing to put it on the table and pornography. Like I got to a place where pretty much if a single, uh, any man wanted to meet with me alone, 90% of the time I figured it was ha had to do with pornography and then likely connected to masturbation. So I, I would say like the, this is going to happen, particularly with teenagers, it's going to happen. But if it doesn't happen connected to lust, then it's going to happen during dreams, mm -hmm. like through a wet dream. And so I, I would then make the connection that uh, kind of similar things that you would say, sex is meant to unite us to somebody. And this is isolated act that separated, you know, generally is accompanied by lust, which is a sin. So like the lust is a sin. And so if you can, move to a place of actually having a wet dream, see that as a victory. Um, see that as now that's what I want. I, I'm really open to your critique, like, cause like then you could, so yeah, that's, that's why I'd love to hear your response. Interesting because yeah, be broken. We have to know what the Bible says about sex. And what I find interesting is I've never ever seen a seminary or a place that prepares pastor talk about what the Bible says about sex. This is a lot more than people that realize. So the Bible never, ever mentions or refers to masturbation. However, it mentions wet dreams twice. Right. And what does it say to do? This is what I think is funny, is Christians will have all this advice about masturbation, but you say, well, what about wet dreams? Oh, don't worry about them. When the Bible actually gives advice on wet dreams, <laughs> You see him saying, it's like, wait a second. So what does it say to do? It says, go wash in the river. It says, you have been contaminated. You're unclean. This, that contamination has got in. 
yeah. it's not nothing you go clean yourself so like well we don't have the jordan river by us you know what i'm saying anymore but 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 it's like i love the picture of inappropriate sexual stuff went through your your mind and your body because usually you wake up and you remember what's going on or even if you don't you see what happened you go maybe take a shower bath clean why not go through kind of a ritual cleansing like god let's clean this stuff out of me and so what i'm saying is is like the bible says to do that but no i've in my life never heard a single person talk about that and it's like so to me masturbation would be the same thing if it happens then you would do the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, you would seek a cleansing from what what it brought right. that about. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there are different people. I do want to say this. There are some people who, who I respect who have more training than me that would say, you can have this little bit of discussion with your boys, but then it's like, th that's between them and God. You don't need to be talking, bringing this up all the time. Now, most, with my son, we did, when we met every week, we'd say, did you masturbate? And we're in, if you did, did you fantasize while you're doing this kind of, we have, it's, that's in the book, I think. I'm not sure. Yes. But um, so it's like, I'm not trying to tell people what to do, but that helped my son. And, and he was able to leave that behind in his teenage years for the most part. And so um, way more successfully than almost anybody I've ever heard of. I have met people that by 15 or 16 were able to completely stop, but they had some extreme um you know with, with, through help just with god they but you know that but it took some kind of extreme things that they did for to make that possible but um anyway so push you back to my criticism of me like it maybe but 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 the idea behind the the wet dream idea is that it's less it's passive in the sense that oh, you didn't bring it upon yourself that is most people would say that they say stop masturbating and then if you have wet dreams you don't worry about it but i would say no don't it, do do go do some kind of cleansing thing from it. Don't, don't okay. not do it. The, the Bible says that to do something. So let's do it. You know, gotcha. So like, and just, and then uh, controlling the emotions, lust, and like trying to get now yeah, that you can, can put yourself in a position to be more emotionally healthy is what's going to help with the challenges that come with that. Can you talk to me about uh, the connection between masturbation and pornography? Well, the problem with with those two combined is masturbation with dopamine it released then so is oxytocin and you're creating bonds to what you're looking at and so this is where fetishes and things like that come in is that people start developing a sexual preference for a certain kind of thing that starts to happen it's somewhat arbitrary like whatever they happen to come across and then from then on they're going to be compared that to their husband or wife in the future because they've, they've created a, a preference for something that's probably not what they're going to marry. And that creates problems. And so even if you don't look at the spiritual components of it, there's some real serious problems with this. Um, when you combine pornography and masturbation, you're reinforcing everything you're seeing. You're reinforcing that you treat people like sexual objects. Right. You, there's a lot of um, pornography today has a lot of uh, pain and forced sex kind of stuff. So you're reinforcing the idea that's ideal. You're reinforcing the idea that I get sex exactly when I want it, the way I want it. That's going to prepare you. That, that makes marriage extremely difficult to be anything good at all. Right. So it trains people to embrace the opposite of what makes marriage work. And the masturbation just reinforces, it kind of cements into your brain what you're seeing as good. Mm -hmm. So it just provides that physical uh, release that is on top of like the, uh, the problems that already exist. Yeah. Not. It's not just the physical release or chemicals that are released in your brain that make your brain 
think think this is good this is positive this is what this is what sex is supposed to be like you see what i'm saying yeah. it does it's more than just feeling good it actually creates neural pathways that are destructive wow well, th thanks for that warning there of what <laughs> what's going on um a lot of this is connected to the access that people have on their devices Mm -hmm. Can you give us some of the kind of practical ideas of, I mean, obviously I would just encourage people to buy the book too, uh, yeah. but, but just give them a little taste here of what they can do with their devices, helping kids um, work through how to use their devices and protect yeah. themselves. So, so be broken. We're not experts on this stuff because it changes too much. So we refer to, we have other people like this, uh, uh, Chris McKenna with um, protect young eyes. I think it is. And they, they, they do, um, he, he works part-time for Covenant Eyes and part-time for this. And he, he keeps track of all the apps and all the everything to help parents navigate that kind of stuff. We, we don't have time to do that. So we let, that's his job. I would personally never give anyone under 14 a smartphone okay. uh, because they, they, they don't have the ability to restrain themselves. They just don't have it. Um, they can have a phone. You can either get them a regular smartphone and you call your, your carrier, whoever it is, and, and say, I want a data block. A data block means the, the phone can text and call, but it can't do anything else. It can't, can't access any internet. If you put an app on, it wouldn't work, that kind of thing. They will tell you they can't do that. They have to by law. So you have to argue with them for a while, but eventually they'll put a data block on it. Um, or you can get, um, there's a thing called Gab Wireless and Wise Phone are two, a techless uh, is it makes a thing called Wise Phone, and Gab Wireless does phones and things. And these look like smartphones, but they have no access to the internet. They have a few little apps like calculators and calendars and things, you know, stuff that you can use, and they can take pictures and they can call and text, but they cannot access the internet on them. So this is a really great solution as as a way to give any age kid. We gave our kids flip phones that didn't have internet access when they were nine, just who wanted them to we wanted to call them and tell them to come home. You know, because when I was a kid, everybody had a landline and you knew where they were. You could call that that family and say, send them home. But, it, it, you know, no one has those anymore. So right. I want to be able to call my nine year old and say, come home. You know what I'm saying? So he had a, an Internet. Both my kids had uh, phones that were not Internet ca capable. Um, and then when they're 14, you start off with no apps for a while and and get get something like they, they recommend Bark, B-A-R-K, Bark.U. Yeah. They're the best one for kids. Covenant Eyes will even tell you that. So that Covenant Eyes no longer suggest their stuff for, for younger kids. Um, and, and then you do, when you introduce an app, study it. Um, I protect young eyes, try to figure out, help the kid decide. Um, you get to follow their, their whatever they're doing. And um, you see how they manage that before you let them do another one. So you set the parental controls where they can't add, do add, they can't add. Yeah. You can use parental controls to control when they can have time on the internet. You don't want them to have any more than an hour, hour and a half per day on the internet. Um, they recommend two hours max, absolute max for any of these ages. Mm. A day. Because any more than that um, is just bad for their brain. Forget porn, it's just bad for their brain. Um, and then, um, but, oh, also, um, remember, it's your phone, not theirs. Right. Okay, remember that. Um, don't get in arguments about that. It's my phone. I'm letting you use it. You're not paying for it. Um, no devices of any kind in the bathroom or the bedroom. Right. The problem with that is that goes for parents too. 
is not okay to tell your teenager not to bring a phone in the bathroom if you do. Okay. If you're doing that. I, I'm really sorry, but you need to get a magazine instead. <laughs> it's just not okay to tell a 15-year-old you can't take your phone in the bathroom if I do. Okay. And what we did with our phones, there was a place where they all charge at night out in the front room. And after they went, if you if a kid's sneaking out and getting them, then you keep them somewhere else. But um, no phones at night, no phones. in the, Because basically say is, it's not fair to us to expect us to control ourselves in a really private place like that. So we're just not going to, we don't have to worry about it. We just won't do that. None of us will, right? Right. And we can say, you know, look, hey, we have temptation too. So we're all doing this together, right? Yeah, that's great. Um, then... Um, but remember this, by age 18, they need to be in full control of their device. This is what's hard, is there are some parents who want to give kids stuff too young, and that yeah. never ends well. But then there are other parents who never let them do anything until they're 18, and that doesn't end well either, because they go out and just... Poof. So when our kids were 17, the last year at home, they still had covenant eyes on their phone. You kind of switched the covenant eyes in later teen years. And we still got their reports... And they had, by that time, they had to have somebody outside the family, like my son chose the youth pastor for some reason, to, to get his reports. And so, um, but they had the ad administrator password, so they could unblock, if they went to a site that it blocked, they could unblock it. Now, I know that, but you, you see what I'm saying? Is that, is that, because when they move out, they can right. do whatever they want. If you're going to make a mistake, I want to, if you're going to, if this is going to all blow up, I want to know now. So you've got between 14 and 18 to slowly give them more control right and it's just so that that's the and then expect them to have a time when they really mess up bad okay uh, are you sure john <laughs> uh, this it it's 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 hard like as, as my kids now are entering i mean this is the phase i mean it's so helpful to me to hear you say this and and the challenge to me to i mean and my wife and i know we need to take these this same considerations and you know we they see us like trying to restrain ourselves like we have access to each other's phones like we have each other's passwords where but we certainly take our phones into our room and i will admit taking it into the bathroom hopefully that's not too too r-rated here for people but like i need to stop so i appreciate that and for the kids to do the same thing if i'm going to ask them to do that um man what a, what a great challenge i love i would love if, if you guys who are listening again we're talking to john fort here who's author of honest talk um go back and listen and like write down those points and maybe we can find some links to some articles john that you've um that where we can share that yeah yeah so th th this is this is hard the, the reality we have to think is the truth is none of us God did not design any of us to be able to do very well in the kind of hypersexual culture we live in. And teenagers, it's completely unfair that they have to live in this culture. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just not, not fair. They don't have the ability to resist these things, okay? And so it's kind of like when um, Daniel and all them got captured by Babylon and taken in there, um, they talk about the food, the certain things they didn't do, but they were still surrounded by a culture that was just completely off the rails compared to where they came come from and they had to live in it they didn't have a choice so we're in the same situation is that 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 um we can't we can't there's nothing there's not a lot we can do about it you know we, there's some there's some empathy we're trying to get through this together if that makes right. sense right well your book is a great help to us along that path
Um, I have, I, I'd like to go for another hour. I have a lot of other questions and there's a lot in this book. Now, I, I always ask people a question. I didn't prep you for this, John, so forgive me, but that the title of our podcast is more to the story. And there's like, the idea is like, we want to go deeper in conversations and we get just in a kind of in a regular kind of social media sort of post. We want to go like deeper, but also there's like a, a sense that we talk about this and that there's more than just being saved. There's also the process of sanctification in someone's life. But then there's also the side, I'm sure there's more to the story of John Fort. For instance, those of you who are watching on YouTube, I see a sword, I see a boat, and I see a fish behind you. So what is there? Is there more to the story of John Fort than is normally told? Well, something I like to talk about is I'm a musician. What you don't okay. see over here is a whole bunch of musical instruments. This is a studio. Okay. So um, I, I recorded an album during the first year of COVID of all hymns done with synthesizers and no vocals. Okay. And it's called Synth Aspirations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that, and then I also have an album of my own original music. Um, too so so but it's all all christian stuff so anyway but so that's that's a difference i don't know if that's what you wanted but that's, that's exactly what i'm looking for yeah decided me that i never get to talk about so um now now wait when you did that with the, do, you, do you use multiple layers of of synthesizers uh, oh, with the hymns oh yes what's your favorite hymn that you you arranged the one that you yeah this album well the 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 were you there i have a couple of on youtube with well one one hymn on youtube is were you there like the were you there when they crucified my lord that one was really cool um i did some cool some cool things with that it um sounds kind of like a soundtrack um but then i have some fun ones like leaning on the everlasting arms was it, it is just hyped up then when i grew up in church what i hated was you'd have a hymn that the the lyrics were happy but the way they sang it was like a funeral dirge <laughs> and one of those was what a friend we have in jesus so i did a version of what a friend we have in jesus that is unlike anything you have ever heard in your life oh man so uh uh because it's like this is actually how this song should sound <laughs> fun yeah it's interesting how some and sometimes it goes the other way too like um we sang a song in the Salvation Army, which is the denomination that I've grown up in, uh, by the Pathway of Duty. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's actually kind of a reflective hymn. And so I had a friend who readed that one from uh, kind of a march-like hymn to like a more reflective yeah. uh, song. Okay, I got to ask, so what's up with the sword? Is that a particular, is there some meaning behind that sword? Um, uh, so I've always wanted to have a sword on there, but... Um, I have, I'm also an author of fiction books. I have a trilogy called uh, The Forbidden Scrolls, which is sort of like a cross between Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia. And when I do book, when I go as an author and sell, um, there's the main, there's swords in the book and the main character, one of the characters has a sword. So I have that, is that's put that on my, on my booth out in front. So it attracts people. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the purpose of it. But I, I got it. Uh, uh, I've always wanted to have a sword and, um, but um that's what this is for. I got somebody gave it to me. I, I do I do cabinet work and that kind of stuff. And that they gave Man. they gave me that as payment to help them do some work in their house. So so we have a, a cabinet maker, a musician, a novelist. Uh, I don't know. Are you a tra as a, trained as a psychologist too? No. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, well, I, I took child's like well. My degree was in science education, and so it was scientist on top of it. <laughs> so that, so yeah, I did study child psychology. I had to acquire my degree too. So, but um, yeah, just uh, kind of all over the map. I'm a very creative person. So yeah, well, I love it. I appreciate the creativity which which you approach this book. 
um, in, in tackling this important subject. And, and we are just able to barely scratch the surface here, just kind of outline some of the chapters. But I really encourage folks to do this. This is something that Abby and I have used. It's led to really fruitful conversations. And we, we honestly need to keep talking through it more than even, even where we are right now, because this, this, is, this is the phase of life we're in. But as John said, this is something to start when your kids are young. We just need to get on this and we need to be prepared. And John, thank you so much for taking time with, with me, but also to write this book and to serve serve the world. I was going to say to serve the church, but serve the world in this way. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, God bless you.